Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. John chapter 5, beginning with the the first verse, and I, I told the first service, my wife kissed me yesterday and told me I just added five years to your life. See, those of you in the Bible say know what we're talking about. I, wanted, I, I asked if she'd make it 15, but she had to go. All right. Anyway, John 5 and 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. God loves a party. God loves to celebrate. In fact, he enjoys it so much that he gave his people several. There was three minimal that every adult male in Israel had to attend each year. And Scripture said Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He did again what every good Jewish man did. Jesus was not opposed to the law. He came to fulfill the law. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. Now according to Nehemiah, uh, we find this, this, this sheep gate on the eastern side of Jerusalem. And this, this gate was the gate through which sheep that were going to be sacrificed. Uh, Jesus calling somebody. You, you, you may want to pick that up. <laughs> but it was, the, it was the route the sheep took to the temple. And that's why it was called the sheep gate. And some people said in history past that these sheep would be dipped in this pool. I really don't know if that's exactly what happened. But what I do know is that it was the sheep gate. And here we have the Lamb of God at the Sheep Gate, so you, you can expect some important things to happen here. And in Aramaic, he was also in a place called Bethesda, which literally means House of Mercy. So we see here that Christ is in his prophetic element. Uh, the names of towns, the gate he's in, all pointing to his work and his presence. And he was at a place that had five roofed colonnades. Last year, we had our picnic at Leesylvania Park, and we were under a uh, pavilion. And actually, that's what these promenades were, if you will. They were just uh, roofs, but there were no sides. And actually, these, these promenades or pavilions or colonnades, forgive me, they lined the walks that uh, were next to these, these legs. Now, we went there, you know, again, for our picnic, but I want you to understand what we're about to read was nobody's picnic. This was a tough scene. It says here, in these, or underneath these, lay a multitude of invalids. It was jam-packed with suffering people. Blind. It goes on to, 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 to explain to us, since we weren't there, exactly who was there. Blind, lame, and paralyzed. Many of us from developed countries... You know, we, we've never really seen sickness like this. You know, we, we've been to a hospital, and I don't really care particularly for hospitals, but a hospital doesn't even get near, particularly in, in our country, what, what Jesus had walked up upon. Uh, when you face sickness and suffering of this type, you will never, ever forget it. Even before you get to the place, the smell hits you. There are sounds. There, the, you see people moaning. It's, it's like, I mean, it, it can almost break your spirit to see such suffering in the lives of people. It said the blind were there. And by the way, anyone ever feel, just, you know, I uh, have problems seeing things at times? Anybody in this place? Yeah. It said the blind were there. 
the lame. Anybody have some, some areas or two in your life, a little bit weak, you know, and, and you can't quite do what you want to do? But thirdly, it had the paralyzed. Anyone ever get stuck and you can't get up? Modern manuscripts often leave out this next verse. The, the reason is probably originally what we're about to read was a, a side note. Uh, written by a scribe, a person who was familiar with the events but felt because the Bible was being take, taken to, you know, Ephesus and uh, Galatia, places way outside of Jerusalem and Israel, they felt that the reader needed an explanation. So for that reason, the statements in some manuscripts and, and not in, in others, because everyone didn't know the Jewish culture. So he, he wrote a little note there, and if you have an ESV, you'll see it at the bottom or NIV. But the King James Version is here, and this is what it says. And by the way, I believe it's, it's accurate because in verse 7, uh, it, it verifies the things that were stated here. And this is what the people believed. They were there waiting for the moving of the waters. For they believed an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Actually, it was an intermittent spring there. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Now, this little note here, even though it may not belong in the text, it gives you an idea of the people's scarcity mindset. They saw the blessings of God as limited. And in fact, they compete with one another to get them. It says, whoever stepped in what? First. Whenever you find people who are insecure about the abundance and sufficiency of God, they're always competing with other people. I've made up my mind a long, long time ago, what's mine is mine. I'm not competing with nobody else, you hear what I'm saying, for what God has for me. In fact, God has enough to bless this whole world 17,000 times over and still have leftovers. How many of y'all believe that's true? Remember when he did the miracle of the loaves and the fishes? What did they do? Collect baskets afterward. Meaning feeding those 5,000 people didn't strain God. In fact, he said, I can do that plus your cousins. You hear what I'm saying? And, and, and your nephews and, and your friends there. When God starts blessing other people, it doesn't threaten me. It encourages me. But those who have the scarcity mindset don't see it that way. And they get resentful and angry when God starts moving in other people's lives. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed, be it unto you according to your faith here. These folks believe the stirring of the water would heal them, and I believe God did heal many people that went in because it was to them according to their faith. And it healed them of whatever disease they what, had. But here's the deal. If you weren't fast enough, if you didn't push your way through, if you didn't step on people on your way, you got nothing. This was the epitome of dog-eat-dog -dog religion. How many of y'all been to a church like this? <laughs> Where everyone's jockeying for position. There's this, uh, you know, scarcity mindset that, that, you know, if I don't make it happen, God's not going to make it happen. And, and there's just a little bit of blessing here, and God can't bless all of us, so, so I got to get what I got to get. And, and we, we walk on people and all the rest to get. But God has more than enough of. Five, one, one man, though, was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, which is longer than most people lived at this particular time in, in history. 
But the point Scripture is making is it's never too late with God. How many of you believe that's true? When Jesus saw him, where did Jesus see him? In spite of the suffering, the sights, the sounds, the smell, guess where Jesus showed up? You see, the parts of our lives that stink the most is where Jesus wants to show up the most. Jesus saw him, not just his problem, not just his sickness. Anybody got a few sicknesses? He saw the man's need. He saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, meaning a lot had gone on in this man's life before he had this meeting with Jesus. But what's interesting about our Lord, he knew a lot had happened in this man's life, but wanted him anyway. When God called you, he knew every single thing. When he wooed you and and, and began to draw you, he knew every single thing you had ever done in your life and wanted you and loved you anyway. He knew this man had a history, but his history did not stop him. Jesus looked at the man and said, Do you want to be healed? I mean, the man's probably standing there and saying, you know, what type of stupid question is that, Jesus? Of course I want to be healed. Not so fast. Everybody's not looking for a cure. Most people will settle for feeling better. And if I tell the truth... Crack dealers and some pastors belong in the same category. Their goal is to make people feel good. Their goal is to make people feel better but not get better. And my hope here today is that you just, I'm not, you know, listen, it's great if you feel good. But that's not my goal. Sometimes you have to be cut before you can be healed. And sometimes you have to work with a steady hand. Even though it hurts, it will help if your motivation is correct. So Jesus cut right to the chase, man, just right at it. He looked the guy in the eye and said, do you want to be healed or do you want to just keep playing church? Do you want to just keep singing them same old sad songs or do you want results? This was the question the master posed. And the sick man answered him with a very sick and common answer. What's interesting, Jesus loved him in spite of all this. Sir, I have no one. What was he saying? Other people are my problem. You know, if they would have done this for me, it would be different. You know, if I had this type of person in my life or, you know, if folks really cared about me, my life would be what? Different. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Jesus, I've been waiting for 38 years for someone to show up and carry me. Somebody owes me something for all my suffering. Here's something I know. 
Maybe people do. But how many of you know that, uh, uh, you know, just because someone owes you don't mean you're going to get paid? And the whole world might owe you, but that does not mean that you are going to get what you think you deserve. So wake up and smell the coffee. He said, no one helps me while I'm going another steps down before me. Jesus, I tried to do this myself, but I just can't seem to make it happen. And Jesus said to him, get up. Fellow, you don't need a person. All you need is my word. Jesus, what did he do? He spoke a word. He wanted a person. But Jesus gave him a word. Did you hear that? Saying if all these, if the church would do this, if they would, you don't need a person. If I only had a husband, if I only had a wife, you don't need a person. All you need is God's word. Now, in some translations, you'll see an exclamation point here because it really belongs there. ESV doesn't put it because you actually see the word get up twice. And, you know, for emphasis sake, since they didn't have explanation points in the Greek, if you said it twice, that means that, you know, it's being said powerfully and with great intensity. So Jesus said, get up, you get up. Do you hear what I'm saying? He said, I am the only Savior you ever going to need. So just do what I say. And then Jesus continues. He says, get up. And while you're at it, take up your bed. Clean up your mess. <laughs> Clean up your mess. I don't even want a shadow of, of what, what you used to be left here. And the last word was walk. Jesus destroyed 38 years of sickness with three simple commands. Obey his word, and he will do the same for you. Jesus said, get up, take up your bed, and what? Walk. From now on, you're going to be able to get to where you're going on your own and in your own strength, of course, based on the word of God and, and with the help of that word that, that gave him the capacity here. But you need to just take it one step at a time. Verse 9. And at once the man was what? Healed. When you get your focus off yourself and all the people who let you down, you get your focus off how you were dropped as a baby and, and how mama didn't kiss you and, and all that stuff. And you put your focus on Jesus you'll get healed too. But you see, he had to, again, he had to drop all the arguments and the excuses, no one, no, 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 and do what the master said. And then he took up his bed and what? Walked. Jesus caused what was once his crutch to become his trophy. Everywhere he went that day, he was pushing up this, this mat and showing people, because people look at him, you can't be the same guy. Look at this mat. Look at this, look at this thing that I've been carrying around and needing every place I went. And he carried it around. And, and again, what was the thing, a, a source of pain at one point, became an actual testimony to everyone that was, was watching. But then, the, you know, it's, it's like a movie camera. It's focused on one thing, but then it shifts to something else. It's like, uh-oh, Jesus did this, but 
Now that day was a Sabbath. This is when the music changes in the, the movie. I thought y'all enjoyed that. <laughs> but Jesus had just broken the 39th commandment in the Mishnah, the, the, the Shabbat 7 and 2. And in Shabbat 7 and 2, the Jewish father said, a man should not transport an object from one place to another on the Sabbath. These were well-known, and I mean, everyone knew these 39 commandments. Now, there were hundreds of commandments in the law, but, you know, Sabbath you had to live by, and if you didn't, you get in trouble with, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were watching. So everyone knew what, what had gone on, and, and, and the issue here was, you know, are you going to obey God or, or man? Verse 10, so the religious people, or the Jews here, said to the man who had been healed, I'm so glad that you're better. I'm happy that after 38 years of, uh, of suffering, that, that finally, you know, God has done something in your life. I'm happy for you. No. All the religious people did was look at their rules. And they smelled blood in the water, and they wanted their pound of flesh. They said, it is a Sabbath. And I don't care if he's God or not. It's not lawful. If you don't fit into my denomination's code of things and the way we do things, we don't want you here. And it was not lawful for you to take up your bed. But there's something I've learned. When God blesses you, you, you have to quickly realize that everyone's not going to be happy about your newfound freedom. And you need to quickly get over that. Some folk will cut you like Jack the Ripper with their three favorite scriptures. You hear what I'm saying? And then leave you on the side of the road for dead. And then go to church. And lead the worship service. The word cuts before it heals. We get to the healing part. But he answered them. The man who healed me, that man said to me. Notice, Jesus healed him only with, by, or through his word. Do you realize this word we're talking today can change your destiny? It didn't say the Spirit of God moved. And the Spirit of God is a wonderful thing, does great things, and the Spirit of God moves on based on the word, but all we have here was Jesus speaking to a guy, and that word changed his life instantly, permanently, irreversibly, and forever. The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. He said, listen, guys, I am carrying this bed under the authority of my healer. And then they asked, they said, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and, and walk? Who on earth has this type of authority to override our fathers? Well, God had become a man. His name was Emmanuel. And sometimes God has to correct our church doctrine. If it's not based on this book, it's suspect. Do you hear me? Appreciate the Mishnah, appreciate their thoughts, but that's all they are. 
The word of God is the word of God, and that is the authority through which the worlds were made and through which we operate while we're in this world. 13, now the man who had healed did not know, pay attention to this, who it was. This guy didn't even know Jesus' name, but he got healed. God is not looking to bless us after we get everything about God figured out. All God's looking for is some people who believe. Often God has to bypass the scholar in order to get the people dumb enough. Just because you said so, Lord, I'll do so. People with that type of mindset is exactly who God's looking for. The man didn't know a lot about God. So let me ask you a question. With all the scriptures you know, how's that working for you? And the man needed to know about God because we're going to find Jesus followed up with this man. And, and, and with all ministry, there needs to be follow-up. That's important. He said, the man didn't know who he was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Meaning, after Jesus healed the man, probably a crowd started to gather. So what did Jesus do? He left. I mean, this is shocking to some of us. Jesus was not interested in the crowd. He wasn't trying to make a crowd. He was trying to make a disciple. And those things are sometimes miles apart. Where we have big crowds but no disciples. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. Scripture says it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. But what's interesting here, pay attention. He did not go to church to get blessed because he had just been blessed. When God blesses you, you will automatically want to be where the blessed people are. The reason most of us want to be here is because this is where the people are at. This is where God's blessing is, where people have been blessed and, and people of like mind. Is, you hear what I'm saying? So you come to church because God has blessed you. And out of that blessing comes your coming and your, your going. And, 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 and God's going to do some special blessing here as well. But, but you, you understand what I'm saying. And Jesus started to, to disciple him now. He does the miracle, and the miracle actually gives Christ the, the authority or the respect in his life for him to start paying attention to the things he said. So discipleship followed the miracle. He said, see, pay attention. You are well. I need you to think about the goodness of God in your life and what I, what I just did. And now because of what I did, here's what I want the result to be. A lot of us have the mentality, if we sin no more, God will bless us. God obviously blessed this man while he was a sinner. We know our favorite scripture, while I was a sinner, Christ yet what? Died for me. Meaning we don't always have to get everything right in order for God to bless. And that's why sometimes we're so self-righteous. Because when someone else gets blessed, it's like, well, I've been trying to get this right, trying to get this right. And you let that person get blessed? No, no, no. It's because your faith is wrong. God often blesses us in spite of us. You hear me? And because of the blessing, then we start trying to live. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repent when he's good to me. And he causes the, the rain to, to follow me in spite of me, the sun to set on me in spite of me, and I had strength to wake up this morning in spite of me. Because of that, I have a gratitude in my heart and gratefulness and, and thanksgiving in my heart. And I don't want to break his heart. I want to mess it up. I, I want to do right because he loved me so right and beyond my, my desserts. You hear what I'm saying? So actually, my obedience and my righteous living comes out of gratitude. 
That was God's intention. Never for it to come out of just a pure sense of duty. I'm just laboring. I'm just walking with God. It's so hard. No, because he loved me. I'm trying to find every way to love him back. When I didn't deserve it, he blessed me. And dear God, he so deserves it. So I'm going to do everything in my power to be a blessing to him and his people. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. See you well and, and what? Sin no more. Now, this was said also to a woman that was about to be stoned. Everyone remember that? Bible? You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.